Hello, this is Melissa, and it is the 19th of March, 2023. And today we're going to hear from Giovanni and Adam, and they are going to talk a little bit about how Alan's work impacted their lives and their way of viewing the world. And I'll intersperse their talking with a little bit of Alan. I'm going to give you some of him doing a solo hosting of the Sweet Liberty radio show from February 14, 2006, and a blurb that he did April 17, 2007, entitled Common Cause and Coming Together. Giovanni talked a a little bit about the kind of person that might be open to understanding Alan's work, and he described himself as clairvoyant and psychic. And he said, you have to be a bit clairvoyant or psychic to understand Alan's work. And I've never thought of myself as either one of those things, but Claire, we we have such a um, associations with those words. Clairvoyant would be to perceive, seeing that which the senses cannot perceive. And I think that 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 might be true. That sometimes Alan's work hits us in places in our mind and opens up places in our mind that have been closed off. And I remember that Alan several times gave the illustration that of if our minds worked differently or the work worked the way that they were made to work, then those kinds of things he he talked about children who would finish each other's sentences or people who were close who would finish each other's sentences or burst into the same song at the same time, the same moment, that kind of an example. And I have had a few of those things happen to me in my life. And it, it was just last week I was talking to my brother. We were both distracted doing something else. And my brother loves factoids trivia, if you will, but little factoids, and he's always learning and studying something. And he'll just randomly say, do you know what such and such is? Or do you know what they call it? You know, and usually I'll go, no, I don't know that. But last week he said, what year did the women in Switzerland get the vote? And I said, 1971. And he looked at me in utter amazement and said, that's right. And I said, okay, that's just freaky. Okay, that's just freaky. And he said, oh, well, you must have studied that at some point. You must have learned that and then forgotten it. So immediately he set about to rationalize it. And um, I don't think I've ever studied Swiss history or the history of the suffragette movement but I also don't have to leap onto that and say, oh, I'm clairvoyant or I'm psychic or, you know, I, because one thing that Alan always talked about was just have the experience or have the understanding, but you don't need to classify it. You don't need to categorize it. You don't need to name it and then go off and start a school of thought around it. Just put it in a box of, you know, that's unknown. But what has been on my mind this last week is time. 
um, because I have so little of it. And time often appears non-linear to me. It, I, I don't have a particularly good sense of time overall, and yet I have this kind of freakish ability to know exactly how much time I've spent on a project or I'm kind of that person in the room that if somebody says, what time is it, and nobody's wearing a watch, I'm usually right within about five minutes. It's kind of weird, but there you go. But in spite of the fact that time often appears nonlinear to me, I can't wrap my head around a lot of concepts like time travel. Anytime I watched a movie that involved time travel with Alan, I'd be like, oh, explain that, you know, and I just get lost in the concept of cause and effect. And it, it uses, I think, parts of the brain or understanding. I, I didn't study physics. I didn't study quantum physics. But I was thinking about time this week, and so I, I just looked into that, the idea of nonlinear time. And lo and behold, in the newspaper in the last week or two, there have been several articles, because I guess there's a new study in the field of quantum mechanics about the idea of retrocausality. So instead of the linear cause and effect, you do this now, and that affects the outcome in the future. With retrocausality in quantum mechanics theory, something in the future can affect something in the past. Well, that gets off in, again into time travel, and I don't get it. <laughs> I was just doing a little bit of reading, and the bedtime reading that I hope will put me to sleep, and I was looking into a little of the Scottish philosopher David Hume. He was known for being a, a, a naturalist, I guess, in his philosophy. He said that all knowledge derives solely from experience. And I thought, well, that is interesting. I mean, that's, that is interesting. It's worth further investigation, maybe. Alan knew, you know, that people would want him to talk more about spirituality. And I think he may have said this on the air a time or two, but he certainly said it to me many times. He said, people want to hear about your experiences, but you cannot give someone else an experience. He said, I cannot give anyone my experiences. So if I told them what I've experienced and then how I have put together a belief or a meaning out of that, it would mean nothing to them. And I think that that is true. I have had experiences. They would, some, I have awkwardly tried to share some experiences with other people, but the rationalizing always sets in, well, it could be just a deep place in your psyche and then it manifested in this way. And, you know, so I prefer as well to keep my experiences to myself because they have meaning to me and, and, and sometimes they have very deep meaning. But I think the point that Alan was making was an excellent point. I think he would at 
if we never had the conversation about David Hume and whether or not all knowledge derives solely from experience. But I'm going to posit a guess that that Alan would have agreed with that to a certain extent because I think that Alan would have talked about experiences that other people cannot fathom or understand or that might not be measurable again, as Giovanni was talking about, by the senses. I know a lot of people want what they might call a spiritual experience. Uh, They seek that in different ways, different methods, whether it's a traditional religion or meditation or yoga. I have a friend who was telling me that maybe three years ago or so, she and her husband had gone out of the country somewhere, maybe Mexico, I'm not sure, but they had gone for the express purpose of taking ayahuasca. And she said it was an amazing experience. We, we saw God. And then, just this last year, they went somewhere else for the express purpose of taking peyote. And she said, well, it was just a, a like a bad drug trip. It was, there was nothing to it. It was nothing like the ayahuasca. We just really wanted to have that God experience, but it, that, it just didn't do it. And I, I didn't say anything. What I was thinking to myself was, if you saw God when you were taking ayahuasca, that would have changed everything radically in your world. It would have turned your world upside down. You wouldn't need to repeat the experience, I wouldn't think. So my opinion about those kinds of pursuits is it's like an experience. It's not an experience. It's like an experience. Because an experience that you experience fundamentally changes you. After Alan passed away, I, a few weeks after that, I started to reread the Cutting Through books for the first time in a long time because we were always too busy for me just to have that pastime. And I got to the fifth page of the first volume of the Cutting Through books, and he said, underlined this first sentence, this is not a rehearsal. This is the final phase of humanity as we know it. Sound shocking? Then go back to your television, or as he wrote it, to Levi Sion, and continue your programming. Your faith in the system creates your fate. Those who have no aversion to thinking, persevere, and you will be rewarded. By symbols, said Thomas Carlyle in Sartor Resartus, is man guided and commanded, made happy, made wretched. He everywhere finds himself surrounded with symbols, recognized as such or not recognized. And I was so taken aback when I read that. I had even put a yellow highlighter to part of that paragraph many, many years ago. 
I had put a little star right in front of this is the final phase. So it, it had leapt out at me before, but not in a way that I could really process, I guess. Because what I thought was, oh my, he wrote this book in 1999. In 1999, he said, this is the final phase of humanity as we know it. And I just found that astonishing. I have a friend who is Catholic, and sometimes when I... They're, they're somewhat awake to what is going on in the world, and I think that they have been exploring things since 9-11, and certainly these last several years they've gotten a little deeper into it, but they return to a certain... I don't want to call it a default position, but they they return to a, a, a certain way of viewing the world. And if I get too impassioned with what I'm saying about what's going on or what is, um, they'll give me the last line of the Gloria Patri, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. But when I reread Alan's books, following so quickly after he passed away, I began to ponder, perhaps for the first time in my life, with mortality really on my mind, consider that time might have an ending. We know that we have an ending, at least in this form, in this place, the middle plane, as Alan called it. And then Adam talked about the way that Alan's work affected him, and he said he particularly misses the historical context and analysis that Alan gave week in and week out. We came to depend on that, and I did just as all of you, I too depended on him to do my thinking for me. <laughs> no, I, I, I did depend on that analysis and it, you know, it, it was just such a reality check week in and week out to, to say, oh, okay, yeah, that's the way to, that, that's, that's it. And I will say this about Alan and thinking. He was always telling us to think for ourselves. And he was often showing us how to think. It's in his talks. It's subtle, but it's there. It's in his books. He would say to people, these are written in a non-linear fashion to encourage you to think non-linearly. So he was telling us to think and telling us how to think. But the one beautiful thing about Alan was he never told us what to think. He was a freedom-loving man, and so we were left to think for ourselves what we wanted to think. But I, too, miss that historical context week in and week out, and the 
perspective that he gave us, rise above, see from a different perspective. And I, and, and Adam has a different way of describing the process of how you might get a different vantage point when you're looking at things. And I quite like the way that he put that across. Well, I think the last thing I was reading through the cutting through books, as I often do, looking for inspiration or something that I want to share. And in the third volume, he's talking about how ancient the system is of empire building and um, the conscious decision by the empire builders when it's time to destroy an empire and rebuild anew somewhere. And he said, a world state is achieved by the cohesion of things below with the intellect as the manipulating force. The individual is remade into the image of a man-made, scientifically efficient organism. Individual energies are surrendered to energies more powerful than themselves. The more dominant the state, the more the will of the individual is made incapable of effort or even the desire for effort. We lose that diamond hardness, which can only be maintained by continuous effort, never relaxed for a single instant. The price of this capitulation of the spirit, this creeping cancer of the soul, is stagnation, dehumanization, and the willingness to be a fractional element in a vast, complex, mechanical entity, rather than a complete being in our own unique human ambiance. And he goes on in that section to describe how this passivity is engendered in us. But I love that line there. Again, something that I had underlined years ago. I was very struck by it. We lose that diamond hardness which can only be maintained by continuous effort, never relaxed for a single instant. And when I reread that last night, I thought, oh, yes, that was Alan. Diamond hard, continuous effort, never relaxed for a single instant. That doesn't mean he didn't laugh or walk the dog or have a pleasant pastime, watch a silly movie. But he was diamond hard in his pursuit of truth, and he never capitulated in spirit. And I love all of the lessons that he gave us, and I, you know, I love to share them with you because I have a different sense about time now. And it's been two years, and I don't think that that will subside. I don't see it receding. I don't see myself settling into a more mundane, relaxed, normal, average life. I still feel that fire, that urgency to share. 
So enjoy everything that follows. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is uh, Giovanni Pacini on the Internet. I go by Gypsy Fox. And um, I was asked by Melissa if I could do a little five to ten minute blurb on the impact Alan Watt had on my life. And um, I just want to say I'm honored to uh, have been asked to do this. And um, I'm honored that uh, Melissa knows who I am and knows, you know, that Alan had such a profound impact on my life that, um, you know, they know who I am. I, I communicated with them via email. I've talked to Melissa on the phone and I, I was, I was very happy and surprised. I thought he, um, I thought he was all alone in that little cabin up there in Canada. And when he passed away, I was heartbroken because I, I, I thought he was alone when he uh, passed. And, um, then this lady, Melissa came out of nowhere and, uh, turns out Alan had a right hand woman and, uh, yeah, what, what a cool lady. And so she asked me to do a little, do a little blurb on, uh, the impact Alan Watt had on my life. I, I could go on for hours about Alan and, and just how special and lucky and blessed I am to, uh, to have found him, but, um. I don't, I don't want to make this too long. So, but, um, yeah. So the impact Alan had on my life, you know, I was like Alan, Alan would say, uh, he was born awake and, and I'm the same way. Um, I had a, a really rough life growing up and, um, that's kind of what woke me up. I, I started to deal with a lot of evil things that this, uh, world had to offer. And um, that kind of woke me up and I've always been very intuitive and clairvoyant and psychic. And so I was able to take all my life experiences that were basically evil, you know, because of the system that we live under and uh, intuitively, you know, figure things out. And um, but I, I never had the who, what, when, where and why, you know. And so I kind of accidentally found Alan and I started to listen, listen to his blurbs on cutting through the matrix.com every Sunday. I was just like, Oh wow, this is, this is, uh, this is pretty important. What, what this guy's talking about is, um, he's putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. And I was just like, this is unbelievable. Like this is a blessing. I started off with Bill Cooper and I learned a lot from him, but when I found Alan, I was just like, oh, wow, you know, this answers everything. This, now this makes sense. Now I understand. And, um, so I started to go through his website and I'm like, whoa, this guy's got all kinds of talks, you know? And, um, I just started to do truck driving. This was probably like, I don't know, four years ago. And I literally spent, I spent the year straight listening to the Alawat blurbs while while I was doing trucking and I would drive like 11 hours a day and I would literally listen to Alan Watt blurbs every single day for like a year and uh, I think I listened to like every talk he had ever done like two or three times in that year I just I couldn't get enough of it you know I was like this I was like this Alan Watt encyclopedia and um, 
I just had a connection with him because um I knew everything he was talking about, but I like like I said, I didn't know the history, I didn't know the background, I didn't know the dates, I didn't know you know that this is like everything in the whole world and everything that's going on is it's all interconnected and everybody's related and you know that this evil agenda has been going on for tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, or even maybe millions of years, you know. And uh, Alan's, you know, get, given all this information and, you know, he, the historical facts and the books he would read. And and I was just blown away by it. But I, I, I realized that the information he was giving me was life-saving. And uh, Alan would say, you know, what we're coming into... You know, it's, um, he would say that I, it's, he would say everything that, when everything starts happening that he knows is getting ready to start happening, like the AI and the, the brain chips and the, the forced vaccinations and just all the crazy stuff that, that we're living through, he said the hardest thing will be to keep your sanity, you know, cause it's gonna be an insane asylum when this thing starts to unfold. And, um, you know, we're probably gonna, be going through some really bad times and um I realized that um the information I was getting from him was going to protect me it was it was going to save my life you know I'm I'm a dad I got a 7 year old little girl and um I was learning things about what what is going to be happening and you know it's it's going to help me protect her it's going to help me protect myself and most importantly I'm not going to lose my mind. You know, Alan would say, you know, a lot of people are going to lose their mind. They're going to shut down. They're going to commit suicide. They're just going to give up, you know. Had I not listened to him, had I not found him, and had I not, you know, listened to so many of his talks and and, and just, you know, let him put the pieces of, of this puzzle together, I would be, you know, just as confused as everybody else. So the impact he had on my life was that he gave me life. You know, and Alan, what impressed me is, uh, people would ask, ask him during the interviews, they would be, they would be like, what, well, you know, why are you doing this? And he would say, cause it's the right thing to do. You know, he didn't, people don't realize Alan didn't have to do what he did with cutting through the matrix.com. He didn't have to do blurbs for 20 years straight, making no money, you know, doing all this work, dealing with all the BS. He didn't have to do that. He did it because it was the right thing to do. And I, I, I just thought that was like such a manly man thing to do. You know, like everybody acts like, you know, they're John Wayne or Clint Eastwood and, you know, and they do the right thing and, and nobody ever does. You know, everybody always t- takes the path of least resistance. Everybody always chooses evil over good. And I'm like, wow, here's a guy for real in real life is actually doing the right thing. And, um, you know, I, I was just blessed to have, uh, found him and, and been so intrigued and, and intelligent enough to, um, to get something out of his talks. I, even now I still listen to his talks all the time, but yeah, so he had a profound impact on my life. I, I consider him like a prophet type person. And, um, when he passed away, I was devastated. I, I, I knew, that we had, you know, we just lost somebody that we need right now. But, you know, he spent 20 years 
given us everything we we're going to need to survive what we're going through, you know. And um, so I'm just I'm lucky and blessed to have found them, and I'm happy that Melissa came out of the woodworks and she's doing her talks and you know. But it's it's about doing the right thing, and that's what he did, and and that that impressed me because that's like a manly man thing, you know. And uh, everybody, what is it? Uh, everybody talks to talk, but no one walks the walk, you know. Alan walked the walk, and and so I just I was just like, wow, this guy's like he's like my you know he's like a superhero, you know. I was just so impressed by um, how honorable and you know he was a man's man. And, um, we need him right now, but, you know, he did give us everything we need to uh, make it through what we're going to be going through. You know, he would say for those that have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, you know, and, uh, I'm lucky to be one of those people that, um, can benefit from what he did and what he said and what he taught, you know, he didn't have to do that. You know, every, everybody needs to realize that anybody who knows and listens to Alan Watt, you got to realize he did not have to do that. He, he could have been a very rich man and had a very comfortable life, but he knew things that if he didn't sound the alarm and go to the extent that he went through with his blurbs and his, in his, in his channel and, and in, in, in all the things that um he would be doing, you know, if he sat on the information he had and he didn't tell anybody, he knew that that would be, you know, an evil thing to do. And so he did the right thing and uh, put all that information out there for us. So it's all out there. And, and if you want to survive what we're going to be going through, start listening to it, start listening to his talks. And, um, it's not for everybody. You, you, you gotta be intelligent. You gotta be intuitive. You gotta be clairvoyant. You gotta, you, you have to be able to face the facts. You know, Alan would say that a truth doesn't come gift wrapped in a little box with a pink bow. It's ugly. It's nasty. But once you know the truth, you, you have two choices. You, you, you could either do something about it, like do the right thing. Or you could, you know, curl up in, in a little ball and, and pretend that it's not going to happen, you know, which is what most people are going to do. Alan would, Alan would talk about that, that the majority of the people always take the path of, of least resistance, you know. So anyways, yeah, so that's the impact he had on my life, you know. And I appreciate everything he did and, and you know, in a way he, he gave me life. He gave me something that's going to protect me for what we're going through. And, and I, teach people and try to wake people up with his information. It's not for everybody, but, you know, the people that, you know, get something from the Alan Watt talks, those are special people. And, and, and I've met a lot of people in the last few years by introducing them, you know, to his talks and his, you know, and his topics and everything. And so anyways, but yeah, anyways, you guys have a good night. Bye. Hello, this is uh, Alan Watt here standing in for, for Darren. And today is um, the 14th of February and 2006. I had no major topic to talk about today except perhaps to put some of the tremendous finger pointing uh, that goes on between uh, who's behind uh, this move towards um, the great society, as they call it. Uh, that is being created gradually 
uh, done through the last you know, many centuries actually who's behind this and, and who's right and who's wrong when it comes to, to the, all the finger pointing between different groups and the, the thing is if you check into the material the written materials of every group and follow what they say and the documentation that they have you can check out yourself and, and, and you say my god they're all they're all right every one of these sides with their documentation tends to, to make you think they're right well how can they all be right when, and the facts do all check out you'll find um, characters on, on every side of this affair who did make certain statements who did make policies who did decide to, to make major moves within the world and it's all well documented uh, and yet they're all doing it and it isn't until you understand the big picture you have to get above the world and look down here to see the big picture uh, to understand that all of these groups at the top are led by the same high occult society the top members know each other they're all brothers, high brothers uh, the idea of a pyramid that appears in so many of the, their emblems is that if you, you cannot see if you're on one side of a pyramid how many other sides there are you can't see them only the guy at the top on the capstone can look down on all sides and then remember there's another side which you don't see which is the base so there's actually five sides to the pyramid so only the guy at the top knows all the secrets and masonry is a a degreed system where every every degree means that, that you cannot tell the secrets of your new degree and, and the new truths as they call them new truths because they keep changing the truth as you go up to the guy beneath you so it's a need to know basis and what you have behind all of this is a an ancient religion ancient which really has its basis apart from an occultic sense perhaps even a demonic sense might say it has its basis on evolution and that's why evolution has been pushed so mightily openly since Darwin's day but this has always been their, their, their goal that, that ultimately man would evolve they call it the great leap forward that's the term which they used before World War II and many of their own publications Masonic publications the great leap forward but then they didn't see how it would happen you see and since nothing as we can far as we can tell evolves by itself in nature they meant that man because this is their religion and, and they count themselves by the way as man not everyone is man there's man and then there's the its you see and they believe that um, through their own will and intellect by using science they will self-become a new creation uh, a god you might say self-becoming god and, and this, this symbol has been used from, from ancient times of the god that is born out of the head of Zeus self-willed and, and born without the aid of any god this is what it means and they call it becoming many terms for the same thing and so back in the 1800s many of the writers who were picked uh, by uh, the, the fledgling Royal Institute of International Affairs 
which is the, the, the British version and Commonwealth version of the CFR, um, paid writers to go out into the world and write novels and, uh, about the, the coming system. And this is called predictive programming through fiction. And it works very, very successfully, actually more successfully than straight, dry, boring, non-fiction books. Because no one, uh, uh, when, you're, when you're watching a, a movie or reading a book of fiction, you censor part of the mind that your brain is down. And when that happens, uh, you're being downloaded, really. Uh, you've been led along a path using emotion. And that's emotive imprinting, they call it. And through emotion, they can make you desire or want or, or, or feel t good towards or against anything through, through a fictional story. And you're, you've been showing, shown, in a sense, the future that they're going to bring to you. And once the movie or, or the book's finished, um, you think you've put it away and that's that. But no, you've been familiarized now with the possibility of this particular story or sci-fi or whatever um, and so when you see it manifest in your own life and the beginnings of the manifestation because it's familiar to you you think well I guess that's just the natural way it, it, it revolving revolving this way society is just evolving but nothing could be further from the truth history uh, as it's written and presented in most uh, school books seems to be a, a, simply a conglomerate of uh, guys scattered across the planet who suddenly have too many hormones and decide to go off with armies and, and become an, uh, an emperor by slaughtering other people. And that's further from the truth too. Nothing could be more, more far from the truth. Uh, the, the, from 4,500 BC at least, there's been this move, stage by stage, of what they call bringing civilization now they call it democracy, but it's the same thing. A system of money, uh, debt, uh, standing armies, a society where experts run everything. They've been bringing this gradually forward down through the centuries up to the present. And with every area they take over, they call it an expanded empire. So wars help to, to bring a, an expanded empire, which destroys uh, existing cultures and standardizes the people into the one culture. So they're standardizing uh, down through the centuries until we get to the stage today where the United States of America, uh, which was created and founded to bring in the Novus Ordo Seclorum, the New World Order, is finishing off its job. And that was referred to by all the founding fathers as Manifest Destiny. And, no, and many of the old books by the founding fathers and, and some of the, the first generation after them uh, they refer to this all the time um, in, in, in the publications as manifest destiny it was never fully explained obviously to the public but now we're seeing what it is not only are we seeing it we're having it explained to us by, by people uh, like Brzezinski um, you'll see it in the New American Century Club, the, the, the little club formed by, by Wolfowitz and Cheney and Rumsfeld and Bush and so on before 9-11 happened, where they listed the coming wars, which they would have to do, they said, to, to maintain control of the world, beginning with Afghanistan, next into Iraq, then in Iran, then Syria. 
uh, they published this first in, in the early 90s and it's available to the public and then they republished it and, and updated it in 98 and lo and behold in 2001 um, we find that they have the, the very thing they needed to stimulate the American people as Brzezinski said in his book published in, in 97 the grand chessboard we will need something of, of a Pearl Harbor event to motivate the American public behind us for the war now how many people can make wish lists like this for Santa Claus or, or win the lotto just knowing they're going to win it these guys write what they're going to do an event happens right on cue when they need it 10 years exactly to the date where, where George Bush Sr. talked about the coming new world order the big idea the Masonic term the big idea you see that was, that was in September the 11th uh, 1990 and repeated in 91 so I don't need to go over and over the events of 9-11 to convince myself uh, what happened here I, you have to carry on from there and see what's evolved since then because the push is now on for the US to fulfill its supposed m manifest destiny that which it was created to do it should also be understood that prior to America having the revolution uh, Britain and other countries France and, and, and some of the Germanic and Prussian countries had, had, had their own international meetings to discuss who would bring in the system and they realized that none of them could be chosen because every one of them was known by the rest of the world as empire builder and, and a plunderer basically so they had to create a new shining knight that claimed I'm different I'm honest and uh, I'm all for, for, for the people you see and so the US was born and it was born by a, by a bunch of masons who got inside a big building uh, locked the doors had guards on the doors to keep the profane you know the masses out and uh, came out with this draft which has been waved and waved and waved ever since um, to justify everything under the sun from persecuting the average American today to, to going off to foreign wars uh, yesterday it's, it's the same thing it goes both ways and when they said this is for our posterity written in the bill they're talking about their own offspring their own offspring you see the Mason's offspring the same families so we're living under an, a very old plan an ancient plan which believes in evolution and evolution to them goes back to the mystery religions of ancient times where they studied nature and they said you cannot have an action without an equal and opposite reaction a law of science and they studied the seasons and they used to say that, that summer battled winter and spring would battle fall and so on in other words to get change which always comes a law of nature is change in the seasons in nature then, then you must uh, create sides to get the changes to occur in a human society that means perpetual ongoing war war and conflict and from the conflict you get the resolution and that becomes starts right back again at your, at your, at your thesis you create an opposition to it it's antithesis 
and then you have another outcome synthesis and it repeats itself from the synthesis back to the new thesis and on and on it goes this was taught widely in all the communist schools in the Soviet Union and uh, Lenin and many other uh, communists um, wrote copiously on this very technique but it isn't a communist thing they used it it's everybody's thing all the nations use it in every country the Jesuits use it because they're part of, of a Freemasonry ISIS with a thousand faces that's what they used to call it in Babylon it was the same church with a thousand faces and even then it was a mystery because people had a hard time pointing out who was behind things it's, oh it's that priesthood no it's the priests over there no it's those ones down south it's the same today the guys who lead these people at the top of every group are the same brotherhood and they know the agenda the ones down below in the lower orders have had real wars between themselves down through the ages because there must be real bloody conflict to convince the people they must have conflict and that's what they call the law of nature which through struggle and Hitler used the same term uh, uh, my struggle because he believed in it too and I'm sure he was put there too by the same oligarchy to do his bit through struggle uh, they would evolve into Superman and that's the key to it is Superman so we find with the founders of the Fabian Society uh, with the Webbs and H.G. Um, Wells and uh, Lord Bertrand Russell and many of the elites because the elite created the so-called far left-wing Fabian Society and it was given a British royal charter to exist so, so you find that these people actually uh, when they were quizzed about the future for the working man uh, are you for the working man is that what the society is for uh, Mr. Webb piped up along with Beatrice her name was Beatrice Potter by the way her maiden name and um, and said, oh goodness, no! He says the masses can't decide for themselves. He says the society we envisage is a world to be run by scientific experts, and 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 different categories of scientific experts to do with school and, and uh, psychology and and so on and so on. You see, so that's the true meaning of the far left wing. It's nothing to do with the working person any more than communism had to do. Uh, with, with, with the average peasant in Russia at the end of the Soviet uh, system comparative standards of living of, of the bureaucracies living in the, in the Soviet bloc were on equal par with, with the bureaucracies uh, of Britain and America so much for the working man so the United States as I say was, was born for this manifest destiny uh, one of their own uh, masons who, who was a, a spokesman for pushing this agenda was Manley Palmer Hall and he put a book out called um, America's Secret Destiny a Masonic book and he, he outlined the agenda same thing again this is why America is born that's why you've got the Washington Phallus there it's, a, it's an Egyptian obelisk the first brand new one to be built on that scale to raise Washington up to Godhood that's what that is for he was raised to Godhood by the Masons for, for his work, his great work whereas Britain imported one of the ones from, from, from Heliopolis in Egypt and put it in front of all their banks you see and there's one in, in, in the park in New York 
from Egypt. And there's one in front of the, the, the Parliament of France imported from Egypt. Then there's another one in front of, of, of uh, the, the, the Pope's window in St. Peter's Square from Egypt, brought by Constantine's son into the, the circus and then moved around the, the 1500s to the, to the Vatican Square. So we're looking at a, a, sim, a religion that uses the same symbols down through the eons. It manages every traditional religion it makes sure that the top guys who run religions, and that's the beauty of organization, there's always a tiered structure of control, so it's easy to put your own men at the top and keep control, you see. That's why organized anything is, is rather dangerous. And so they, they give you your passive religion to keep you as sheep, dull, stupid, and, and munching on the grass, and obeying, and don't, not thinking, well, they pretend they're the good shepherds and they're managing everything. They're the scientific elite. They're the experts. That's what they're there for. Don't have to worry about anything. If the news comes on, they'll tell me all I need to know. And they will tell you all you need to know. The media is one of the most important arms of government. We have a media that will not even mention the spraying in the skies that's happening every day across a good part of the planet. If they won't tell you that, if they won't talk about it, why on earth would you expect them to tell you the truth about anything? Hello, Melissa, and hello to everybody else who's listening in the audience. Um, my name's Adam, and I'm 39 years old, and I live in Germany. Um, hmm. It's funny, um, when Melissa first asked me to do one of these things, I, I kind of leapt at the opportunity and I was quite enthusiastic about it, and, and I really felt like I had a lot to say. But when it actually came time to doing the recording itself, it, all of a sudden it wasn't so easy. And I, I definitely struggled with what I wanted to say, what was important, how I wanted to say it. And um, I really had to sort of ruminate on it for a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what I've been doing lately, actually. You know, ruminating on life and and death and mortality and all of that stuff. I think when when Alan first died two years ago, or at least when I first read the news that he had died, I don't think it really registered. It would, I don't think it was really real for me when that happened. Um, it was obviously sad, you know, it was a shock, but. For for me, given that I'd, I'd never actually met Alan in person, I'd never even spoken to him on the phone, um, I was still able to to access all of the all of the material, so all of my favourite blurbs over the years, and of course Melissa was continuing to keep the website updated with with various material, the Redux posts, etc. And so, so yeah, it. It's been a weird thing. I guess that kind of started to change a little bit when, when Melissa came out and um, told her story. And, you know, she, she added a whole lot more detail there. And I guess kind of ever since then I've, I've been in sort of fairly regular contact with her and I think that process has, has made it more real. Um, so 
I would say for me right now, there's definitely a, a process of uh, delayed bereavement and grieving that I'm going through. So, yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to do this, but I really want to do it. Um, yeah. A bit of backstory about myself, I guess. I, I, was, I was born in New Zealand. I grew up there, um, but I have lived most of my adult life in, in various other countries around the world. I'm not sure if I'm, I was one of those people who, who you'd say was, was awake from, from a very young age, although I definitely had some sense of something not being right from, from a quite a young age. I do remember being like four or five years old and, and watching my father put on his, his suit and tie and, and go to work and, and come home again. And I felt, yeah, I, I remember recalling, I recall how, how, how odd I found all of that. And yeah, I guess I was kind of plagued by this, this sense of uh, frustration and discomfort and confusion about why the world was the way it was for, for quite a long time since I was relatively young. But obviously it wasn't really until I, I sort of discovered Alan Watt that any of that really, yeah, really made sense. I sort of went through the, the whole waking up thing, I guess, around about 2008. I was living in the UK. And there were a number of experiences that just sort of, yeah, started that process. Things that grabbed my attention and things which, which started to become quite obvious. And, and like, like a lot of people, I went down the... Uh, all the rabbit holes with the new age and the UFOs and, and yeah, all that stuff, the fantasy stuff, as Alan would call it. Um, but yeah, um, through a little bit of networking in the UK, this is in Scotland, actually, I lived in Scotland for seven years. <laughs> um, I, I met a guy there who had been listening to Alan for some years and we became friends and yeah, um, he, he started to encourage me to listen to, to, to Alan's work. And I had heard Alan previously, I think maybe a year or two before, but it, it didn't quite hit home for me. It didn't, didn't click. It wasn't, wasn't really registering. And of course, in, com in comparison to all of the, the fantastical <laughs> New Age uh, mainstream conspiracy theory stuff, obviously what Alan was saying was, was, wasn't quite as sensational. And so, yeah, it didn't grab me in the same way until, until my friend, yeah, um, my friend Scott actually in, in Glasgow um, gave me a whole bunch of these, these blurbs from, from Alan Watt dating all the way back to about 2006. And I guess that's when um, yeah, things really started to pick up the pace. And um, I went through that experience that I'm sure all of you out there have been through where, yeah, there's, there's, there are moments of of incredible revelation and and clarity and yeah the feeling of 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 uh, of rising up out of the fog out of the clouds to to a greater height you know to 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 see what was really happening where we were and who we are and where we've been and where we're going and all that stuff you know um and as melissa correctly uh, emphasizes that was probably Alan's, Alan's biggest strength and the, the, the single biggest factor that made him so different to everybody else out there was that he was always putting things in a historical perspective. Um, I kind of liken it myself to 
there's this river, right? And and we're all on this boat. We're going down this river, and it's kind of like, you know, there's there's rapids and there's calm parts, and yeah. Um, but as long as we were in the boat, we can we could only see what's immediately in front of us or what's immediately behind us. So our our vision is very limited, and I think how how I how I saw things um, and how I felt was that. Alan is kind of telling you, or he was, he was kind of encouraging people to, to step off that boat onto dry land, onto the shoreline, onto the banks of the river, and start walking back, start retreating a little bit. And then eventually you sort of start gaining, uh, you start gaining some altitude and going to higher ground, and you're starting to walk up a mountain. And by the time you get halfway up that mountain, you can look back, and all of a sudden you're seeing the entire river. You're seeing where it's been, where it's going. You can see all of the, the twists and turns and the calm bits and, and the rough parts and all of that. And yeah, I mean, if I hope this makes sense to people, but that, that's kind of you know, how I felt about the whole experience and, and what Alan was able to do and what his whole, his whole mission was about is, is giving us that, that broader perspective you know, to, to step back from it all, um, to not get caught up in the emotion and the drama yeah, and I think, yeah, I think that's what will be missed most with him. And I think, um, yeah, I know for myself right now that's that something's become very, very clear to me quite recently is is the loss there, um, because there is there is nobody else out there in the, in the the so-called alternative media kind of scene that's that's giving any kind of analysis that gets anywhere even close to the depth and the, uh, the scope that, that, that Alan was, you know. Um, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's no, you know, there's, there's no other way to put it. It's funny, um, I got, I did get to a point in my life actually, I think around about 2000, 2016 or so, where I did stop listening to the to Alan's blurbs for for probably a couple of years, and that's just where I was in my life. I really feel like I needed to step back and and just focus on myself for a while, you know. And so I, I, I kind of stopped paying attention to the news cycle. I wasn't following much of the alternative stuff. I, I wasn't listening to, to Alan's blurbs. I was kind of just <laughs> you know chipping away in the matrix, as it were. But then. Um, yeah, I think it was Christmas Day 2019, I received an email from Alan, out the blue, completely unexpected, simply asking where I was and, and how I was doing, and yeah, and I, yeah, I found that strange, but um, in retrospect, I look back now, and I think it's, it's clear to me at least that he knew already back then um, what was about to happen. You know, we, we were... It was kind of late December. We were starting to get these stories about some virus in, in China, you know. And I think Alan clicked onto that pretty quick and um, made contact with some of the people that he had been in contact those years, um, myself being one of them. We, we had been in, in sort of on and off contact. And, um, yeah, after that point, obviously, I was tuning into Alan again and, um, and was in contact with him, you know, sort of fa fairly regularly. Um, we'd hoped to to do a phone call 
Um, he did say he was going to try and get around to it, but um, unfortunately, it just didn't happen, and then and then he died. So, yeah, that was that was difficult, um, and in a lot of ways, it still is. And there are some days where I, I guess it's the childish part of you, and I think we all probably have this to one degree or another, where we feel like we we can't do it without him. We we need to. We need his guidance. We need we need him to make sense of things for us. You know, there's the it's quite a raw kind of a feeling, you know. Um, but I think, you know, I think what Alan taught and emphasised the most, in a way, was was that you needed to be your own champion. That it wasn't up to him to save us all. It wasn't up to him to to say what can happen and what can't and where we should be going. The whole point is that we now must decide on on what we want to do and how we're going to do it. We've got to just pick up the torch and, and carry it on, basically. And, um, yeah, I think, in a way, we're, we're all, <laughs> all probably grappling with that question at the moment, some more than others, but, yeah, that's, that's I think, where we're at right now. And um, I am I'm very, very appreciative of what Melissa is doing. And I, it's, it's a hell of a lot of work. I, I couldn't handle it myself. Um, but yeah, I, I like to believe at least that, that, that Alan would approve. That if somehow he's watching, he'd be proud of her. Because um, I certainly am. And I think uh, a lot of you out there are, are as well. But um, yeah. Things are not easy right now, I think, for a lot of people. I think we are in a, well, quite obviously we are in troubled times, but um, something that I'm seeing a lot is there's, a, there's a, a general sense of malaise out there. I think there's a lot of people who are in, in a depression of some sort or, or in a pretty dark place in their, in, in their heads. This is what I'm picking up anyway. There's, there's quite a lot of suffering out there. So it's, it's not, a, not an easy time. Um, but I guess I would emphasize once again the the value and all the things that that Alan was able to to outline and teach us and the importance of of us yeah persevering um, <laughs> yeah working on our fortitude perhaps and um, yeah there are still good things in life life can still be good people are good and then Alan had a, had a deep, deep love for people, a deep compassion, uh, which was pretty remarkable given the, 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 the way in which he understood humanity and all the folly. But um, that's something that I look to for, for inspiration going to the future. Anyway, I will leave it at that for now. I've probably rambled on a bit longer than I probably should have. But, uh, but yeah, best wishes to, to everybody else that's out there. And thank you again, Melissa, for for doing this and for, for everything that you're doing. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com This is the 17th of April 2007 And my, where does the time go? There's never enough time these days. The European website's coming along fine the translators are coming in. Some initial transcripts have already been 
put into various languages of Europe and there's more coming in all the time this adds of course to the work level at the moment I get so much mail email and paper sent that it takes an awful lot of time to get through from all peoples all age groups each struggling in their environment their cultural uh, their gender their age groups with the same problems so effectively has the world been isolated or at least the worlds of peoples and individuals been isolated from each other and each group is then segregated from the next group and promoted further away from each other as time goes on scientifically again as Bertrand Russell said a long long time ago and we see the effects all around us and yet it's not a phenomena which is not understood it's not a new phenomena it's not as though there's an elite group of controllers guessing at what they must do to make things easier for themselves at the top while they manage a a whole world into a brand new system and way of living and doing they use professors of ancient histories uh, and philosophy to give lectures to think tanks that work on these problems because if you understand as Plato said if you understand what people have been made to do in the past with regards to culture and if the people have gone along with it in the past then basically you have a formula when you introduce the same parts of that culture once again the people will go along in, in exactly the same manner and do exactly what you expect them to do it's all formula and whatever's been done in the past can be brought up again at any time and put into effect once more and it'll work just as well it's no different than scientists studying various kinds of animals with patterns of behavior and how they react to certain stimuli the same thing is done to people very old sciences really we've come a long long way to a world empire in ancient times you had city-states that was the beginning of the struggles and Plato said they would make them the beehives because cities are artificial creations where people are thrown together and pushed together in a system which is artificial depending, it has to use money you can't have a city without a money type of barter it takes the place of barter for the exchange of goods because cities don't produce anything except bureaucrats and systems and standing armies basically and then they set the city-states fighting each other and with each war they built up empires and that's all the world has really been for a long time for thousands of years is warring and empire building until you get to this stage where it's a matter of them maybe prematurely claiming victory of having the system of world government set up in place 
Now it is true that economically they do have a world global system set up with different departments of world managers and bureaucracies through the GATT Treaty for Trade. But don't forget that in economic books they tell you right there that economists or economics run the world every country and its laws circulate around its economic system everything stems from this hub of economics based on money and loaning and debt all the laws revolve around it getting back to how I started this little ramble here it's been a long tiring day so forgive me if I do ramble professors and historians are drawn in to these think tanks they give lectures to high bureaucratic officials to groups of them as to what to expect in the near future we've all lived through those who were born in the last century were very very old were born in the last century we've seen the transition from an older system of industry and how people lived in an industrial age how people at one time for a couple of generations were so glad to leave school and go right into trades and industry thinking that was an achievement if you get a job for life that's what they basically wage slaves but uh, there were different categories of pay and they thought there was nothing greater than to get a job for life at some boring factory or whatever and then around the 70s the, the rumblings and grumblings began and then into the 80s of don't expect a job for life you'll probably need two or three jobs down the road uh, and maybe you'll, you'll change careers many many times because your industry was going to leave well they knew that because it was planned that way and they'd known that since 1945 when they signed all the agreements of deindustrialization we've gone through generation X and even further the, the ones who were written off and we've seen how the proliferation of drugs was pushed from the top and promoted from the top during the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s because if you want to make a population docile and distracted and dysfunctional during major changes you introduce drugs big time and make it a popular thing to do and naughty of course anything which is naughty is something you must do if you're young and they gave the music industry a good and all the magazines that backed them up a good promotion to, to go into this whole drug scene what you're looking at is a warfare technique a war on the public created to, get to bring them through major changes without backlash on those who are causing it all and planning it the communist branch of the elite at least wrote many books on formulas and strategy to be used to isolate people from people age group from age group and gender from gender this has been successful very successful not because they were very very wise 
or they could pull out a crystal ball and predict something is because they, once again they also use professors of history and philosophy they knew that you can bring people to a stage where the children through indoctrination in school would be against parents they knew they could turn man against woman, woman against man and once that phase is complete then you even segregate them further by having each group almost isolated from one another where you give them slogans to parrot when they antagonize each other in fact to stop conscious thought and reasoning from taking place when empires come to an end you'll find in history you have the same symptoms arise when you understand the symptoms which bring down an empire you understand the formula to bring down an empire or an older system in ancient Greece we saw this and Rome was almost a duplicate where sports were elevated to incredible heights to try and get all of the, the vast underpopulace involved and passing their time and giving them heroes to follow which didn't affect their lives at all nothing happened to change the things for the good in their life big changes happened around them as they're watching all these sports but it was, it was also to segregate the male from the female because the male and the female combined even a family unit are the closest thing to the beginnings of a tribal system a tribal system is hard to control by any foreign elite and they stand up for each other they will stand up for each other if one of them or the other is picked upon the idea for totalitarian control is to make sure no one is going to stand up for anyone else so government and authority can dictate directly down to the smallest units without interference and that small unit can turn and look left and right and everyone is walking away because you're on your own that's what totalitarian systems have always looked for so in ancient times look at the symptoms and you find that sexual promiscuity of course is pushed to the maximum nothing new really in that at all except for the sciences that go with it with the pill abortions certain venereal diseases can be killed off with or at least halted with antibiotics not all of them though everyone's out gorging themselves on either sports or, or sexual frivolities and overindulgence then you bring in all kinds of deviances into the scene as well in ancient Rome and Greece we saw it the men were so into themselves and the body beautiful and the, the male warrior the females were into the worship of Diana and themselves to boot and so narcissism is encouraged once the two have been separated incredible narcissistic tendencies develop where one type will worship itself incredible incredible folly which leads to the downfall of everyone ultimately and never mind the offspring 
who are trying to grow up. All formula. We're now for sure at the stage of narcissism. When you separate one from the other, from the small family group or tribal group, and promote an indoctrination into them, almost a religion of self-worship, you're ensuring that they'll be oblivious and unconcerned about all the other real changes that are occurring around them. We see this going on all the time. The men are into a state of not even knowing who they are anymore. There are no real role models for them to follow. The family unit, if it exists at all, is dysfunctional or its single parent. There's been a war upon society and those involved don't even know it. All they know is the fallout and the dysfunction all around them. If you were to watch television every day, even during a depression, as people in Britain did in the 70s and 80s, you'd never know the depression was on because the news is scientifically put over in such a bizarre cinema fantastique method that it's all surrealistic where all kinds of circuses can be promoted via what they call news from trivia and little ha-ha stories to d- with, along with the bombings of people across there somewhere it's always there and mixed in with sports and Hollywood fame all going on amongst the closing down of factories and plants and businesses and hearing the pronouncements like the death knell of layoffs every night without any dwelling upon that latter point and they go on to the next part of trivia that was common and people therefore as they lost their jobs felt shame because the artificial system they'd, been, they'd grown up in which wasn't theirs either by the way they served a function and a time for the same dominant minority they, they blamed themselves because the system promotes an image an idealistic image which does not exist and has never existed of a secure lifestyle with work and hard work and constant income and what happens when all the work goes and there's no money and then the arguments start in the households and there's no answers given on their media and they look to the media because they can't reason anymore they've been trained that the media is big brother it will tell them and advise them what to do but the media is silent on that point so the people naturally blame themselves as failures without realizing wait a minute I'm one of millions of failures here it's meant to isolate you again and make you think you are the failure then generations are growing up written off publicly stated to by top politicians the generation Xers who are told they probably won't see work in their whole lifetime and get used to it this is what is promoted in this bizarre surrealism of media this is what is promoted as being normal 
and to most people it is normal. They can't imagine anything outside their conditioning. They can't imagine people planning 50 or 100 years or more ahead and planning their lives, planning their unemployment, planning the fallout, planning how to deal with the fallout. They can't imagine any of that. Because this reality that's promoted and they've been trained to believe in is the only one they happen to know. Daddy 